merit has replaced the old system of inherited privilege. We begin with good news. However, it's the New York Times, so we will end with bad news. But merit, it turns out, is at least partly class-based. Parents with money, education, and connections cultivate in their children the habits that the meritocracy rewards. So even though we've replaced inherited privilege with meritocracy, now we discover that merit is inherited. Now, it does sound plausible. What's wrong with that as a, as a matter of analysis? I, I can think of a number of, 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 of uh, heiresses and bimbos who, who would be an argument to the contrary, but I won't go that route. Uh, first of all, people aren't paid for merit. They're paid for productivity. Hmm. You know, uh, uh, someone who had all kinds of handicaps to overcome, you know, might have a tremendous amount of merit just to end up as a trained carpenter. Right. And somebody right. who was right. born with a silver spoon and is now sent to the finest schools that money could buy uh, may have no, no greater merit in becoming a brain surgeon. But that's not the point. The question is whether the brain surgeon's productivity is greater than that of the, of the, of the carpenter. So merit is really not, not part of it. But the other thing is that uh, the, the question is, what, what are you trying to end up with? Are you trying to end up with the best qualified people doing the job or not? I mean, if I have to have a brain surgery, uh, and, and I'm told that the guy who's going to perform the brain surgery is the world's, the world's greatest brain surgeon, but he was born with a silver spoon in his mouth and had every privilege, am I to say, no, no, give me somebody, you know, who had to fight his way up and who had just barely made the cutoff? Well, suppose... So how's it, everybody? Welcome back to Freedom Fanatics, where your freedom is worth fighting for. Today, of course, I'm joined by my esteemed colleagues, Tiejo and Sholin, just Sholin, this week. Uh, guys, remember to follow us at Badger of Liberty uh, on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, as well as Twitter. I never know if I'm forgetting a, a, a social media platform, but uh, wherever you are, we are. So check us out there, and we will be there sharing cool ideas about freedom. Okay, guys, so there we prepare for this episode with a, a clip from uh, quite an esteemed economist from the U.S., Thomas Sowell, um, who really has a way of simplifying uh, complicated comments. And there he's chatting a bit about merit. And that's where we're going uh, this week with our first story, which comes from the spokesperson, I believe, uh, Zizi Kortu at the moment. He holds a position of spokesperson of the ANC. Tiako, is that correct? I think He's an ANEC member. He's part of the National Executive Committee of the ANC now, but no longer the spokesperson. Okay, cool. There you go. So, and these were some comments that he uh, made on J.J. Tavani's Power to Truth show um, on ENCA. So let's, let's just have a look at what he said, um, and then we'll, we'll tackle the, the, the issue. Response to some of the issues that are raised by the commission. Yeah. We're introducing meritocracy in the ANC, something which was never there before. Mm. Um, we interviewed mayors. Uh, because of an organization of people, there is a reaction even to that, uh, um, to that innovation. 
Yeah. And there are many other things that we do to modernize the organization. Yeah. Uh, but because we're an organization of people, there will always be. But do you regret anything that you have, your finger was pointed at you directly or indirectly in the commission process? You as Zizi Kodwa, who has is, been a leader young, of young people, of ANC Youth League, and now in cabinet or, or, in, or proximal to cabinet, you know, and, and holding a very important position in the middle of the presidency. Do you regret anything at all no, no, with what has been mentioned against your name? JJ, we, as human beings, we learn. Yeah. So that's why I'm saying experience is a best teacher. You yeah. look back and say with hindsight. Yeah. Um, you remember that time. We're introducing the innovation of, uh, of meritocracy. Tiago, I uh, saw you cracking a smile there. What are your thoughts on, on Koto's comments? Well, one question kept on coming back to my head, that if you're only introducing this now, what have you been doing since 1994? How have you been hiring your people? Have you been going, fetching random people from streets, no qualifications, no merit whatsoever, bringing them into positions? I think this is an admission on the part of the ANC that uh, for, for, for all these years that they have governed South Africa, they did not actually know what they were doing. They did not have systems in place that ensured that the best capable people to carry out duties are hired. So I think yeah, it's an admission, but more than anything, it's shocking that 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 he sees this as as an accomplishment of some sort, as something very nice that we have finally gotten to this space whereby we think that qualified people should be hired for jobs and stuff of that nature. But it's madness. But more than anything, an admission on the ANC part that they, they they for the past few years they did not know what they were doing they were just really moving with the flow and 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 merit had nothing to do with what they were doing yeah i, yeah. I, th I, th I think uh before i uh, hand over to you i think what's happening here is uh, yeah i think it's sort of they've been backed into a corner um and you know we we've spoken a lot about uh the effect of nepotism uh cadre mm -hmm. deployment on south africa's public service everyone knows um, how that has devastated the country. Uh, so I don't think it's even neglect. I think there's been a yeah, there's been a willful uh, sort of uh, neglect of public service, uh, and really it's just jobs for friends. Um, Sholin, your your thoughts? Yeah, no, I just have to add on to what the who said there was that you were so Zikodo um, in the clip. You were so proud about the fact that they've interviewed mayors. I'm like. What then? What have you been doing before that? Are you not supposed to um, interview um, potential people that you are putting into very important um, positions? It's, that's classic ANC for you right there. And yeah, Alex, I would just like to add, man, that I can clearly see that they've reached the end of the road where they literally do not care um, what people actually think about them because they're like, we can now pull our cards out open um, because we have already looted so much, mm. we've already taken so much, and we've already destroyed enough that um, for anybody else to take over, it's going to be a heavy a lifting um, job to do. So, yeah, I really don't think they don't have, like, enough records to say, um, which means you don't, like, put any caution before you speak, um, mm. because that's literally what they're doing, whether it's Becky Chele or ideas from Latim Tetoa, they they literally don't care these guys um, because they feel because they feel like you know, there might be no um, accountability anymore, mm. um, and that's a dangerous um, um, direction for us to go in. 
Um, and yeah, man, that's that's it for me. <laughs> no, for sure. So before we close off on this topic, Tioka, I just want to ask you, is it too little too late? I mean, obviously, as, as South African voters, we want to see people, as sort of Thomas Sowell says, that you know, we want to see people who add value. Um, but is it, I mean, we, it's obviously a trick here that, that the ANC is trying to use to try and salvage their, their position in power. Um, do you think it will work? Well, I don't think I don't think it will work for them. I think South Africans are smarter than that. But more than anything, is it late? It's it's probably late, but it anyways has to happen because if it doesn't happen in that way, then the future is quite uh, the future won't look good at all. So it might be late, but it's something that has to happen. Whether or not the African National Congress is a political organization that South Africans can entrust with carrying out such a project of ensuring that we have capable people working in the state, people who deserve to be in those positions, who are there to serve the people, that is a question. But there's one question that then arises after this. If they are taking the route of merits, does this then mean that they will be reflecting on policies such as PE, policies around uh, 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 hiring people based on gender, that you're empowering them and stuff of that nature, to say that you are going to hire people based on merits and not race anymore, not gender anymore, if anything, because yes, people were formerly discriminated against, we will empower them and give them support that will help them become skilled individuals who can compete for certain jobs and stuff of that nature, right? So the question that arises now, I think, in my mind is whether or not this new direction that they are apparently going in, into means then that they are going to recognize that BE is a problem, gender-based policies are a problem, and they are going to remove them. If they are not going to do that, then the whole speech he just gave on ENC is quite useless, I think. Sholan, you look like I want to jump in. No, yeah, I just wanted to say, um, yeah, if they might speak so nicely about it, but the reality will certainly probably be different, um, especially because I feel like for so for the past, like, what, nearly 30 years, all of the appointments through cardiac deployment has been based on loyalty to the ANC, then you get a nice government job with nice perks. And if you have been, and you struggle credentials, um, if you claim or even falsely claim that, you know what, you were fighting the struggle, you know, for our freedom during apartheid um, and you have an ANC um, T-shirt on, um, poof, you got a spot just because of your loyalty. And that has been one of the most biggest, like the biggest failures um, in our politics is that we have had people placed in positions based on the loyalty to the political party, the ANC, and not to the loyalty to an ordinary citizen, what they mean to, who they are meant to serve as a public servant. And that has caused many of the problems that we have, whether it's ESCOM, state capture, a failing education system, these are a result of those of that very, very thing. Yeah, Alex. Absolutely. Um, and there are just... Uh... Just a bunch of unbearable, useless individuals. There you have it from 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 God's mouth to someone's ears. I can't remember the phrase. Um, so they, yeah, guys, let's let's leave it there. Um, I think yeah, it's it's it. There's there's a lot of squirming going on at the moment, and I think it's something to to keep an eye out. I think you know we've got ANC conference in December. We've got elections in 2024. Um, yeah, I think there's a lot to look forward to. Um, yeah. So stay tuned for sure. Okay, guys, let's uh, let's go into our second insert for today, which is a, a little bit of a more sort of downturn uh, theme. Um, and this is a colleague of ours uh, last week, unfortunately, passed away. Um, and this was quite a 
quite a significant uh, player in South African politics. Um, although some of you may not even have heard of him, um, but his name is, name is John K. Berman. Um, and he, for 31 years, uh, was the CEO of the South African Institute of Race Relations, um, a classical liberal think tank. Um, and I'm just going to read out some of, there was a, a memoriam uh, written uh, for him uh, on the Daily Friend today. I'm just going to read it out because I think it's relevant uh, to our audience, to, to young people across South Africa. Um, so he, is, he uh, in, in university, he was at a student at the University of Witwatersrand at Wits, and he was part of the of NUSAS, uh, which is the National Union of South African Students um, back in the day. Um, and he was part of the branch. He was the chairman of the youth branch of Helen Sussman's Houghton constituency and worked on a 1966 campaign uh, that underpinned her political career, um, her political rise, and thereby that of the Progressive Party, which uh, has its, which is where the Democratic Alliance has its roots, um, and as well as that followed, including one of the most important consequences, um, <clears throat> yeah, South Africa's official opposition. Um, but beyond that, he was uh, at the forefront of student politics. He had encounters with former uh, apartheid uh presidents in in uh, john foster um they called him a totalitarian liberal um and so he was obviously a threat and as he said here you know he himself had never had any other weapons other than words um Chirko, i'm going to come to you first what, what what are some of the reflections that you've had uh sort of as we reflect on on, on jkv's life well, I've, I've, I've honestly had a lot, a lot to reflect upon um, since his passing and since reading about the story of his life. I must be honest that I did not know much about JKB before his passing. Uh, it's he's, he's someone that I've met at the South African Institute of Race Relations offices back in 2020 while I was interning there, but did not know much about him. But there is now regret on my part that I wish I had known this person well in advance, now knowing what he has done for the country and everything. But more than anything, I've had time to reflect a lot on what the African National Congress has done since since, since their inception in government in 1994. Uh, I studied history um, from primary to high school. I've never read about JKB, for example, I've never read about some PAC, some prominent PAC people who really played a great role in, 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 in bringing apartheid down to its knees. I've never read about Helen Sussman in those books and stuff of that nature. Mm. That is something I've been reflecting upon, that it's, it's, it's quite dangerous that we have this one liberation movement that has politicalized our education system and chooses who they are going to include in the books of our history and who they are not going to include. And I think that JKB is one of those people that South Africans should definitely know about. Someone that we should definitely be reading about in our history books. He played a great, he played a great role, really, in ending apartheid. And so those are my reflections and my regrets that I did not know much about him while he was still alive. I could have interacted with him in person and learned a lot from him. But more than anything, that we have allowed the African National Congress to be in charge of our curriculum and exclude people that they don't want to form, they don't want to put as part of our as they are narrating our history, they don't include that people in the story. The only people that they really include are their own ANC people. So South Africans can stay loving this African National Congress and not recognize the other struggle heroes. So that's that's 
that's all I would say on my part, that we really mm. need to fix our curricula. We need to tell our history exactly how it went on, bring in all the people who participated in, in, in terms of getting us to where we are as a country, celebrate all those people's lives. I think this is a life certainly worth celebrating. Mm, absolutely. Uh, Shalin, your your reflections. Yeah, no, um, one of the things I definitely um, found uh, mesmerizing um, about Trank and Berman, especially with his, um, um, the memoriam thing that we had that was written for him, is that um, with regards to um, our fans, our fans is in collaboration with um, the Institute of Race Relations, mm -hmm. and the Institute of Race Relations went through one of its most difficult periods, almost reaching bankruptcy. And this man, because of his beliefs and his conviction for the message of freedom, um, was able to then raise nearly 40 million rand um, just to sustain this organization that has existed since 1929. And I'm like, if that is not enough proof that this man had a conviction for a vision beyond himself, um, in, interning and campaigning for uh, Helen Sussman um, in Houghton back in the day, not even realizing that, um, you know, in future years, that would actually lead to the Progressive Party um, forming into the Democratic Alliance, becoming a, the major opposition party in South Africa. That not even realizing that the vision that he had for this country um, would be, would have a ripple effect in that way. The same way I think that we have to have a vision for what we are doing with what we have right now will mm. eventually create a movement beyond us and one day beyond our our lives even. Um, just because our values have the ability to, you know, extend, have, have eternal value. And mm. that's why I really think that that's the type of vision, vision we should um, be instilling in not only in ourselves, but also those we are surrounded by. And mm -hmm. that is something that we need to emulate and a legacy, I think, that we need to continue. So, yeah, mm -hmm. a life like that. If I can have 10% of that man's CV, I would be happy with my life. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, even if you have 10% of the speeches that he that he gave, you've got 70 speeches to, 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 to give. So I, I will <laughs> we'll give you some time to go and, and get started on that. But I, just before I hand over to Invali with... Uh, uh, burning questions. Uh, they, the memoir that was uh, the memoriam. They end off with this uh, paragraph, which I think is, is really really impressive. It's, they basically say, um, "Kane Berman's own unfussy phrase: I myself never had any words, any weapons other than words." In his 2017 memoir, "Between Two Fires: Holding the Liberal Centre in South African Politics," is a fitting epitaph uh, for one of the late 20th century. South Africa's most notable warriors in the battle of ideas. A liberal thinker who was fearless and unhesitating in devoting his very considerable armory of words to a lifetime campaign for truth and justice and truth. Um, so there's a lot to work with there. The pen indeed is mightier than the sword. Guys, remember to follow us at Badger of Liberty. Uh, you can find us on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, as well as Twitter. And on that note, your freedom is indeed worth fighting for. And we're going to react to your guys' comments fighting back with us with Bali.
Hi guys, welcome to another episode of Burning Questions. Um, let the fight begin. Let's go. All right. <laughs> hi Alex. Hi Sholin. Hi Diego. How's it? I'm Donald. Good, good, awesome. So guys, on today's episode of um, Burning Questions, we are looking at another video from our TikToker, Mr. Sholin Voices. And he's talking about needing, uh, South Africans needing more jobs. We need more jobs. And yeah, let's, let's, let's watch the video. The South African government now wants to increase the 350 rand grant to 624 rand. In South Africa, we do not need more grants, but we need more jobs. What are your thoughts around this issue? And let us know in the comment section below. Alex, I'll start with you. Let us know in the comment section below. This is the comment section. <laughs> Yo, man. Eventually, you run out of other people's money. We cannot have a situation where you're taxing people to such a high degree and just handing out money. You need mm. to create opportunities to let people uplift themselves. I don't, I can't imagine there's anything less dignifying than standing in a Sasa queue on a cold winter's morning no. to go and get your 350 no. rand or whatever they want to raise it to now. Um, mm. You know, I think there's one stat that I remember Becky Mashova presenting, um, who used to be a colleague of ours. And he, basically the stat was that it, between 2008 and 2020, uh, mm -hmm. we didn't add more jobs, but the number of people on social grants I don't know what the baseline was. I think it was about 12 million. And that then post-COVID rose to over 18 million. So suddenly we're doing something very wrong. Um, yeah, yeah, that's just no, my, my, my opening salvo. We definitely are. Okay, let's move to the first comment that we're going to have for today. Masculinity forever says, I'll say he. I think this is a he. 100% agree. These old politicians should just step down. We, we don't want handouts. We can work. I, I like this comment from his community. Uh, Sholen, you go first. Yeah, no, um, yeah, I absolutely agree. Um, we have so many people depending on our grant system, on our welfare system, that mm. it's um, really, um, you know, um, draining the resources that um, the state has um, um, to fund itself and its operations. And when we actually want an economy that's working, a country that's flourishing, it requires every able-bodied person who is willing and capable of, um, you know, getting up in the morning and going to a job. Um, mm -hmm. That is the most unifying thing that we can um, offer people in this country. Um, as Alex said, um, you know, I can not imagine how um, the the how humbling it must be for an individual to have to go and stand and wait for a handout from um, from government. Um, in a line as if though, you know, um, government is, 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 is the baby daddy, um, to put it like that. Um, that, is, that has to be so humbling. And I think if we actually want to, you know, uh, put some dignity in people's lives, add some responsibility into their lives, we need to provide them with the opportunity for a, for a job. Yeah, mm. yeah, that is true. That is true. And I think a lot of people in the comment section actually, they do say that they do not need handouts, create more jobs. That is what we need. Um, the next comment we'll read will be from the Muse Chronicles. And he says, shame, they say, who the hell is going to pay for it? Yes, the taxpayers that are already being bled dry. Dear you're a taxpayer. How do you feel? 
Yo, you know, okay. I, I let's I move to the next group. comment. That was the answer. That's, <laughs> That's a full comment. I almost wrote an article around this yeah, just yesterday, actually. Uh, it annoys me. The whole thing annoys me that. <sighs> Let me calm down a bit. You know what? Okay. I think I think two people are, are to blame here. We one, we have a government that that has failed in all these years that it has been around to create jobs, and now that they are failing to create jobs, they would instead rather give people grants. Secondly, you have a people as well who yeah. suddenly post 1994 think that the government is there to provide them with everything. Uh, people who thought that after 1994, once we are in a democracy, a lot of people really, everything would be smooth from heaven, things will start falling down, we'll have wealth and stuff of that nature. But the reality of the matter is that if you want to eat at the end of the day, you have to work for that food. Now you have people people such as people in rural areas. Let me talk about Ramalepu here in Limpopo, right? In Ramalepo, the kings have allocated people residential land and uh, farming land. Mm-hmm. But the people in Ramalepo are not using that farming land anymore. They cry about hunger on a daily basis. They cry mm-hmm. that they want this 350s increased. But there is land that is available to them that they can use mm-hmm. on a daily basis to provide for themselves and the people in their households. So firstly, you have a government that's failing and now throwing money at people. Secondly, you have many people who are lazy to go and work. And that's something, that's that's a conversation we should have. Uh, the blame can't always be on the government. We should have an honest conversation around citizens who don't want to work and and, and, and therefore would rather live off, off our money as taxpayers. As taxpayers, yeah. taxes in South Africa are already high. We cannot sustain this thing anymore. The economy is coming to a collapse. We really, 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 really need for the people to rise up and start working. But we need for government to start to, to, to stop encouraging the nonsense of allowing people to be lazy, people not to work, and things that people, uh, things are just going to fall from the sky and we are going to live happily ever after. The reality of the matter is that in a real world, you have to work if you are going to eat at the end of the day. That's what we need to get to. As a taxpayer, I'm unhappy with this decision. If anything, if I've, I had the powers to, I would at this point mobilize a huge protest uh, telling people not to pay their taxes anymore because our taxes are not being utilized in a rational manner. Mm-hmm. But more than anything, our taxes are being used to support people who don't want to work. I wake up every day to come to work. Why can't the next person do that? You don't even need jobs for that. Like I said, in places like Hamlapu, people already have land. There are no jobs in the area, but they have the land that they can work on. What we need is for people to really start working and understanding that without citizens working, we are going nowhere as a country. That's 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 really my comment on this one. True. Thank you for that, DFO. I hope you guys heard that. I hope you guys heard that. Uh, the next comment we'll take um, is from Mary, and she says, well, well, anything to get the people to vote for them. They're trying to calm the people. That is too late. Um, Sholen? Yeah, no, we have definitely seen how the ANC likes to give out handouts, um, especially when it comes around um, election election times. Um, that's when they're out in the streets, you know, um, trying to um, buy votes for some of the handouts. Um, promising people um, that you'll have more of this once you put us into office again. Um, and But 
actually they are actually very wrong because some of the data and things that we um, read on, like especially by the center of risk analysis, is that we see that actually when more people have jobs, the ANC um, performs better in elections. So if the ANC actually wants to, um, you know what, gain more momentum and, you know, do better at the, at the upcoming elections, they should be creating more jobs, not more grants. Because as we've seen a decline in, um, since democracy, as we've seen a decline um, in job creation in this country, we've seen the ANC performing worse and worse and worse. Now to the point that in the upcoming elections, the ANC might not even be um, in government. Um, that's the point that we've reached. And so the ANC really need to understand that if they really want to crack this code of how to get things um, in, in the renewal process, in the reforms, um, at the policy conference, one thing only needed to be said, which is create more jobs and you will get more votes. It's that simple. Yep. <laughs> yeah, man. I think I think we need to send them that CRA data. I think they, yes. they need to actually get it. <laughs> they definitely do. Lazy yeah. guy here says, if they increase the grants, there will be more money circulating in our in our economy. More money circulating will increase jobs. Diego, I'll give this one to you. I have no comment. Shulin's face. <laughs> <laughs> This thing I forgot about camera. What? <laughs> I forgot about camera. If, if this show is just reactions, it can just be our facial reactions. Actually, <laughs> oh, no, I, I, <laughs> I don't even think I want to jump on in, 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 in this one. But the reality of the matter is that this is not sustainable at all because the mm. money is coming from taxpayers. And as Alex has always emphasizes, he always mentions Alex that the tax base in South Africa is shrinking on a daily basis. Mm. Yeah. Mm. The more it shrinks, it means we have less people taking care of more people in the country. You have the minority of the country really taking care of the majority of the country. And even that minority is shrinking on a daily basis. How does that make sense to you that this thing is going to uh, incre increase circulation of money in, 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 in the economy and therefore create more jobs? Mm. Here's the thing, uh, uh, buddy. Part of part of what they do in, in in coming up, I know part of the conversation that's taking place right now. Uh, government is considering increasing our VAT to seventeen percent. Yeah. That automatically means that we as citizens, our money has less value. That automatically means that businesses are making less profits, less money. Mm -hmm. Therefore, we will see businesses retrenching people. That's not mm. going to create jobs. If anything, it's taking money from businesses, from individuals, and therefore forcing businesses to reduce the number of staff members they have. It's simply mm. not sustainable. Ultimately, you'll have these businesses running away. It's not sustainable, this thing of keeping on increasing taxes, increasing taxes. The more sustainable way of doing things would be creating an environment that ensures that jobs are available, right? Part of the problem that the ANC, I think, has is that they are trying to figure out how to, to create jobs. And it's not even the job of the government to figure out how to create jobs. They ask us to simply create an environment that, that would allow for such a thing. That's what really needs to happen in South Africa right now. This thing of increasing taxes, giving people grants and, and expecting that when they spend that money, therefore, 
things are going to become better, jobs will be created and stuff of that nature. What will that money be worth at the end of the day if yeah. your VAT went up? I mean, even that 350 after the VAT moves from 15% to 17%, it's going to be worth yeah. much less. But yeah, let me end it there. This whole thing is just frustrating for me. But more than anything, yeah. I think, I think there's, there's a psychological shift that needs mm -hmm. to happen in the minds of South Africans. And I yeah. hope that we as fan institutions such as the South African Institute of Race Relations, the CRA, will ultimately be able to, to, to influence that shift. Because if it doesn't happen as soon as possible, really we are moving in the wrong direction. Yeah, definitely. Sholem? Yeah, you're absolutely right, Rade. Um, Because what we have the situation right now is that we are literally in South Africa having this discussion about whether a human being's living, um, you know, amount of money that they can live on is 300 and 600 and. Do you realize that we are arguing no. about fighting for the scraps at the bottom of the barrel? That's mm -hmm. literally what's taking place here. We are way more and we have the ability to be way more productive than a 600 rand um, mm -hmm. when you have to sustain not only yourself, but also your family and those who are dependent on you. Um, for us to be arguing about 300 rand and 600 rand, that is literally nonsensical, to be honest, yeah. because um, we should be oh, we, we should be arguing for livable wages. That's what we should be, um, mm -hmm. you know, um, having, putting into our productivity every day when we go to a work or when we try to be productive and contribute to the society. That's what yeah. discussion should be about in Bali. And I'm sorry because I know we're running out of time. No worries. Thank you so much for that show. Like, guys, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Burning Questions. Um, remember to uh, look for us or look us up on social media at Page of Liberty, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, and Instagram. Uh, and as Alex said in the show, uh, your freedom is definitely worth fighting for. <laughs>